The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hey everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to the show. It's been a while since I've recorded one of these intros, so I could hopefully I remember how to do this stuff. Uh, I recorded another one, but it was just really long and rambling. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff that I want to plug, so I'm, I'm just going to get that out of the way. Uh, also keep in mind that I'm going to do kind of a, a year-end wrap-up thing next week. Uh, talk about summer, summer 2020, kicking us in the, the nuts or ovaries or whatever. Um, so for now, I, I just want to talk about some of the, uh, the plug stuff because I completely forgot to mention that stuff previously and I got a bunch of new stuff for you. So uh, the, the biggest one is Patreon. Go check out my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash RyanPBA. I've been moving a lot of my educational content there. Uh, I, I'm not really putting technique stuff on there. Little bits of stuff. I have a couple little things about surface piercings and a couple little things about bevel theory, but mostly it's it's non-technique information. Uh, I just published a two-hour class all about statums, talking about general use and, and regular maintenance. If you are new to owning a statum or if you're thinking about getting a statum, this would be a great class for you. It just talks about maybe some of the long-term costs on uh, maintenance, how to handle a lot of the general maintenance yourself, changing seals, if you have certain steam leaks or water leaks coming from certain spots, like what's causing that and, and how do you fix that yourself without having a bug Brian Skelly about it. Uh, so go and uh, check that out on, on Patreon. You can get uh, that and a whole bunch of other classes on the $15 a month Archmage tier. So check it out for a month. If you don't like it, go ahead and cancel. But I'm trying to put enough stuff up on there where uh, you like it and you'll stick around for a bit. Uh, I've also got new merch available on my website. That's precisionbodyarts.com shop. Uh, I've got a new Statum Cult zip-up hoodie for the winter. Uh, the Statum Cult uh, art on the back, and then on the front, I've got a new design. It's a Statum cassette. It's pretty cool. I've also got an enamel pin of that Statum cassette design, so you can check that out. And uh, due to high demand, I got some uh, some new Piercing Wizard shirts made, and it's with the new black metal Piercing Wizard uh, design. So it's really modeled after a metal band t-shirt. It's long sleeve with like a cool print down the sleeve with like, you know, an inverted cross made out of a needle and barbell. And, you know, it's totally cheesy, but uh, in, in a good way. And uh, I also made some new Gentian Violence hats. So if you've ever spilled uh, Purple Murder on your floor or your countertops, uh, you might want one of these hats for, uh, for the winter. Keep yourself warm. So go ahead and check out all that stuff. And I also want to announce uh, a new day of education with myself and Lola Slider. Uh, I've been talking on the show the, the last few episodes about getting Lola to do her PA class again because I, I think she's got a lot of information that can be super helpful, especially to U.S. piercers. Uh, myself as a U.S. piercer, I never really work with foreskin. Most people over here are circumcised, so I don't really deal with intact anatomy as often as someone who works and lives in, in the U.K. or in Europe. So it's a lot of great considerations on how to evaluate a client, on whether or not it's viable, how to perform that piercing, different jewelry considerations, aftercare considerations. 
and it's just a killer class. Uh, so if you've ever looked to uh, kind of up your game when it comes to Prince Albert piercings, definitely sign up for Lola's class Sunday, January 24th. Uh, if you sign up for Lola's class, you're also going to get the bonus class of predicting and preventing predatory behavior. We've talked about that on the show. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon for clients to get creepy. And a lot of times it goes way beyond just like some dumb little comment. It's, it's, it's behavior. It's a pattern of behavior. Uh, and sometimes you can, you can spot that you can eliminate it. You can establish firm boundaries, the way you present your, your information online or the way that you, uh, handle your booking in the studio or the way you present yourself as a professional. So that's a fantastic class, especially if you're not really, uh, firmly confident in offering genital work. Those two classes together are great. And I'm also going to be doing a bonus class for free uh, to, to start out the day on Sunday, January 24th. I'll be doing a, a class that I'm just calling Progressive Considerations for Nipple Piercing. If you've taken my, my full paid nipple class, you might have seen some of this information before. Uh, but if you haven't, you maybe come and check it out. It's, it's how to uh, evaluate anatomy, what kind of jewelry you're choosing. Is it a ring or a curved barbell or a straight barbell? Uh, should you be telling people to wear or not wear a bra? Lots of different considerations. Uh, not really talking about the direct needle theory part of it because I, I think there's a, a very long conversation that you need to have first about the technique of using that needle before you talk about specific piercings. But uh, if you're already a piercer or if you're an apprentice, you're aspiring towards doing more nipple piercings or nipple piercings on a, a wider variety of people, uh, I think you'll have some, some good information here and it's going to be free. Uh, I also do talk about um, surgical considerations uh, appropriate to pierce uh, an augmented nipple, um, different issues related to surgeries, uh, different issues related to hormone replacement therapy. Uh, so I, I talk a lot about di different things there. So uh, go ahead and check out that bonus class. And then you can take uh, Lola's amazing two classes. So if you want to get more information on that, go ahead and check out uh, Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. Or you can message myself or Lola on social media. But uh, Facebook... Uh, Body Art Education by Ryan Willett. There's going to be an event page on there that'll talk about uh, my free class and uh, Lola's bonus class and Lola's paid class on Prince Albert's, which is really just a fantastic, really killer class. So for now, uh, this week's episode is another Ask Us Anything episode. Myself and Lola answering your questions uh, submitted through a, an anonymous Google form. We talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about um, acupuncture as, as therapy in relation to body piercing. Uh, time management, how to, how to make it so you can actually have a, a sandwich in the middle of your day, have a lunch break, uh, the role of music in the studio, uh, the role of piercing organizations within the industry. Is the APP something to lament or something to look up to, something to, to join in and, and help grow? Uh, we talk about accountability in the studio. And there, there's a line that Lola says, which is great. It's that you can't really give uh, an answer sometimes you can really only just give your opinion and, and that's really what we do uh, that's a, a long conversation can be had uh with, with some of this stuff and we you know we, we touch on it a little bit but uh you know we, we would imagine that people will keep that conversation going uh, we also talk about the environmental impact of going disposable and who's who's still using nostril screws all different kinds of stuff like that and uh stick around a little bit at the end and i've got a, a bonus christmas song in there if you're that type of person who likes uh, holiday junk and uh, it's james brown so bonus anyway i'm gonna go ahead and get into this episode again thanks for tuning in check out patreon.com slash ryan pba or go to precisionbodyarts.com slash shop or for those classes check out body art education by ryan willett on facebook okay 
Once again, I have asked my talented and patient girlfriend, Lola Slider, uh, to to talk to me about piercing things. So, um, say hello, La. Hello, La. Um, is there anything you want to say to people? This is like nearing the end of the year, and I was probably going to do like a end of the year thing about like what I'm thankful for or what sucked ass. Do you want to say anything about that stuff that I can put into that episode first? Hmm. Well, I guess I'm really thankful to still have a studio. You know, when, when the, the lockdown first happened back in mid to late March, it really didn't look like I was going to have one. Um, and it's been pretty exhausting and, uh, and in a way impressive. That I've, that I've managed to still have one. I'm impressed by you every um, day. Like I, I remember having lots of conversations with you, where yeah. it, it felt pretty doom and gloom. But you know, you, you worked so hard and you got through it. It's been it's been just pretty much close to the bone every month for you know the past nine months or so now. So it's it's definitely been very difficult. But I am very thankful to at least be in a situation where things are difficult for me. And, but there's at least something that I'm still working for. Yeah. You know, some people have lost their studios and their jobs entirely. So if I'm struggling, it means I'm still in it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm proud of you. Thankful for you. Because I'm so handsome. Yeah, you're pretty handsome. Thank you. But also very supportive. You know, mm-hmm. like we hadn't been seeing each other for very long when the pandemic started. And it's a very, very big emotional burden to have to help somebody else cope through very difficult times so over zoom i'm very thankful for you yeah well i'm very thankful for you this year has been horrible for everybody but i'm glad that we were going through that misery together i hope that we make all of your listeners vomit (laughs) with how sweet you all have diabetes now because we're that sweet i don't care i have to take my happiness where i can i don't care die mad about it (laughs) well uh thanks Okay, so uh, let's 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 talk about more things that were submitted by people. So, well, um, is there anything you want to say at the beginning first? Like, I would just like to say that even though I advertise for the submission form and I share the submission form, I don't have any access to it. It's just Ryan that has access to it, so I don't know what any of the questions are ahead of time, um, and. I've, you know, like we've talked back and forth about whether it's better to know ahead of time or not, and I think I would just overthink and overanalyze everything. Yeah, um, that's so it, unlike you. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and it's a lot more conversational to just talk about them, like yeah. genuinely. So I don't know what it is we're going to be talking about, but because I also don't know what we're going to be talking about, sometimes you know, if if my opinions ever come out as being not fully thought out it's because they aren't because i've only just heard the thing so thank you for listening and being patient with my thoughts well i think spontaneity is good for stuff like this there are some subjects where i think you really need to plan it out research things like that but with a lot of the questions that people ask i think it's almost best it's like it's a good example where you can just know how someone thinks of it on the fly because yeah. anybody can make like a really carefully thought out political answer yeah and sometimes they're a little bit disingenuous mm-hmm. so yeah but let's get right into it with one which i know that i want to gripe about and okay. maybe you want to gripe about it too uh it says acupuncture how do you answer to that how do you respond when people ask about it like in relation to body piercing like you know like the doth migraine thing but now that 
that whole wave was so popular, especially on the internet, that now people think like, you know, this piercing helps anxiety, this piercing helps you quit mm. smoking, this piercing, whatever. So how do, you, how do you interact with someone that brings up something like that? Well, there are two different ways people can interact with me over that. And one is just, you know, the generic email of, you know, I'm looking to get my doth pierced for migraines. Do you have experience with that? And by this point, you know, a couple of years in, um, there is just a pretty prefabricated answer, which is I can do the piercing for you, um, but it's not a treatment for migraines and I can't offer you any kind of medicinal benefit from having this done, you know, and that's basically it. I don't really go deep. Um, with email responses anymore. I mm -hmm. mean, if someone's really interested, I might link them to some articles and some research. Um, and then the other is if people are actually asking about it with me in store, um, and maybe things will be a bit more conversational. And when I have had the chance to kind of go a little bit more in depth with customers, I'll usually say, you know, I mean, there's two different elements. There are people who genuinely don't feel a benefit to acupuncture, acupressure, or almost, I don't want to say believe in it because it is, you know, it is a holistic therapy. Mm -hmm. So people will have different opinions of it. It doesn't matter what mine is. Um, but whether or not you're someone who does or you doesn't, if you do or you don't rather, if you do fully, uh, what do you call it now? I've totally messed this up. Well, no, are you, are you talking <laughs> about your favorite band? Placebo effect? <laughs> No, what I was going to say is, even if you do completely, I don't. I, I was trying not to say buy-in, but that's what I wanted to say. But mm -hmm. I don't. I didn't want it to sound, you know, like offensive to yeah. people that are into acupuncture. Yeah. If, if you, you believe if you, it'll work, if maybe you that's fully part believe of why it works. that it will buy, if, if you fully believe in acupuncture, it's still not the same as a piercing. Acupuncture needles are, I think, something as much as ten times thinner than mm -hmm. piercing needles, yeah, depending on what it what it is that you're having done. Mm -hmm. um, a piercing is literally slicing through or, or cutting through severing tissue mm -hmm. it's not applying pressure yeah. it's not stimulating a point if there is a point there to be stimulated mm -hmm. so even if you are completely i'm into acupuncture it's worked wonders for me i have it done that's completely fine but it is an entire you know science art form treatment therapy in and of itself mm -hmm. completely different to cosmetic piercing so i actually feel that However you look at it, if you don't believe in acupuncture, acupressure, then fine, you don't think it's going to work. But even if you do completely, um, you know, have those treatments done and feel they work really well for you, they still couldn't be more different from cosmetic body piercing. And it's almost offensive in that way to say that they're in any way similar or related to people that practice those things. Uh, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I. I I've gone through different phases of it where I started off when people would say that I'd be like, what are you nuts? Like a piercing's not going to fix your migraine, yeah. but dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people, if not hundreds, um, came in for that reason. And I had to kind of like adapt and, and evolve how I would answer them because like if they do really believe in it or even if they're yeah. desperate and there's no harm in trying it. Um, I don't want to be the person that smashes any of that potential effect that they might have if, it, if some of it's mental or yeah. whatever. I, I was definitely in that, you know, I think a lot of piercers were a little bit agitated and were in that kind of dream crushing phase mm -hmm. of I have to explain to you why you're wrong. Yeah. And I think after a while you do kind of realize like it doesn't, you don't have to explain to people why they're wrong. Some, sure. Sometimes all you can do is just say, um, I can't offer you this mm -hmm. as a medical treatment because it's not a medical treatment, it's a cosmetic body piercing, mm -hmm. and that's all you need to say. 
And if, if they want to go on and say, well, I think that it's going to work, I think you have to stop and ask yourself at what point you're just being an arsehole. Yeah. Are you like, you're just going to stand there and it's just like, tell it's them like over and over like, again that oh, they're wrong. Where do you have your gauges and be like, oh, they're plugs yeah. actually? I think there's like, educating and yeah. there's being honest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the, the kind of, I have people look over um, a list of contraindications and reasons you might not want to get pierced before they get pierced like most studios do. And mm -hmm. one of them is piercings don't have a medical benefit. Yeah just as kind of like a general, and, and then that will sometimes spark the conversation if maybe that's why they're in to get pierced. They'll mm -hmm. say, oh, it says here, you don't offer piercings for medical benefit. And I'll say, no, I'm not a medical professional. I'm yeah. a cosmetic body piercer. I can do a piercing on you that's gonna look really nice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, as you'll know yourself, there's there's no scientific evidence that any of this other yeah. stuff works. So we just have to be upfront and honest about it. I don't get to, the, like, I used to say that. And I'd be like, well, there's no evidence. You know, it always started out that way. It'd be yeah. like, there's no evidence. We just do cool piercings, you know? And then it turned into like, well, What's the harm? It, it, like, but at the same time, you have to walk this fine line of like, well, you never want to imply or make a promise. Yeah. And when you when someone asks for it, like this, this is actually this is a, a good timing thing. I got an email yesterday, and I I replied to it, and, and the email says, "Hi there, I was looking into getting a doth piercing to help with migraines. I've heard so much about it. Uh, I wanted to ask you more, etc., etc." Et like one of those typical emails that you yeah. get all the time. And I wrote back and said. Uh, hello, I'm happy to perform a doth piercing and I have done them for this same reason on dozens of other people. What I tell everyone is that I'm not comfortable offering any piercing explicitly for a therapeutic or medical reason. Any therapeutic benefit a person may have would be outside the scope of my profession and I cannot make any claims beyond a safe and beautiful piercing. If you would like to schedule a visit, etc. Like I don't yeah. want to dash their hopes. Like if, yeah. if it helps, you know, if it is therapeutic, on a, on a personal level, great. But I, I, I don't want to make a claim or response. I know that there are studios yeah. that do make those claims and it makes me very uncomfortable. Yes, um, definitely. I, I think it's completely inappropriate for any studio to make a claim and also potentially harmful for themselves from mm -hmm. like a liability perspective. Yeah. If you're offering treatments with a medical benefit, not only is that ethically wrong because you're not a medical practitioner, but it does also leave you open for, I think, certain legal comebacks mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, what if the treatment isn't effective? Because it's not a treatment, it's cosmetic piercing. Yeah. What if it doesn't have the desired effect and the customer isn't happy? Or, um, you know, what if they, uh, for example, get an infection as a result of getting the piercing? Sure. And, um, you know, it comes out that the only reason they got it was for medicinal purposes mm. and they didn't realize that it could result in all these other things. And, yeah. and I, I just feel that, you know, not only is it ethically wrong, it also leaves you more exposed to, to potential mm -hmm. harmful comebacks from it as well. But and it's more not than anything, just, well, yeah. I'm sorry, what were you saying? No, no, go on. Well, you know, it's not just the, the doth migraine thing now that there are so many other piercings where people yeah. are saying this is connected to this and that and whatever, that I think it's better to just have one blanket statement yeah. of like, that is outside the scope of professional body piercing. Yeah. So that... I can't. I can't offer it for that reason. I'm I'm very much the same now. Like I I did. I remember the first few, the first eighteen months being exhausted with the no, it doesn't work. This is why it doesn't work. Here are articles I'm going to send you explaining why it doesn't work. And then I think you get to a point where you realize that like convincing other people that they're wrong mm -hmm. really goes beyond your role as a sure. professional piercer. Your your job as a professional piercer is to offer safe piercing services. Mm -hmm. They're asking you a question: Does this work? Do you have experiences? experience with it working the answer to that question is no but i have experience performing the piercing for aesthetic value and cosmetic value and that's it why yeah. you know why do you have to go further than that mm -hmm. and just basically take an argument to someone that's looking for a service that you don't offer or a sure. treatment that you don't offer for something that's not even 
proven anywhere yeah. in like a journal or anything like that. So what's the harm in them convincing themselves of that? There's harm if you are convincing exactly. them of it. Exactly. But if they're convincing um, themselves, like if they want to convince themselves that a nostril piercing yeah. is going to like cure their depression, maybe it will on some level. I think for me, the only kind of moments that I've felt really ethically inclined to like really stress that I don't think this works is with a couple of clients that I had closer towards the start of the kind of doth piercing migraine craze who I know that we're, we're never supposed to judge on appearances and this kind of thing but these were some clients that had clearly you know no interest in like visual piercing um, or the aesthetics of body piercing or any kind of um, visible alternative decoration mm -hmm. um, and you just kind of very much got the impression they'd never even been in a studio before and they were just there because they wanted the treatment for migraines. Um, and particularly, I know it's, it's, it sounds silly, but I had a couple of like little older ladies, like quite old wee ladies that just kind of make you, kind of like melt your heart a little bit because they're like your nana. And I was just like, I can't take money from these women for getting this thing done if 100% of the reason that they're wanting it is because they think it's gonna treat their migraines. Mm -hmm. Like I think if you get a sense from someone that that is the only reason that they're getting it, that they otherwise wouldn't want a piercing, they wouldn't be there in the studio, they have no interest in getting the piercing for any cosmetic reason, I think that you have a responsibility to, to have a conversation with them. Um, if someone comes in and they say, well, you know, if it doesn't work, if it's not for me, I've still got a piercing that I like and that kind of thing, then it's a little different, but if someone's only getting it for the reason of it being a medical treatment um, and there's no other reason for them to be getting it, part of me does feel a little bit more of a need to kind of have a bit of a conversation with them and make sure that they're okay with the risk that it, it's probably not gonna be beneficial for them. Because if I, if I feel that's the only reason that they're doing it, mm -hmm. I, I don't wanna take money from those people. It I've seems said the wrong. same thing. You know, I've said the same. Like there have been people who have come in and they're desperate, and like they yeah. don't even want a piercing. They're yeah. just desperate for help. If if they're if they're willing to have that conversation, say you know if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's mm -hmm. fine. But I would have rather at least had the conversation sure. with them. Sure. Well, I think that'll be helpful to some people. I think yeah. maybe it's a year or two too late to really help a lot of people. But I think if people are still asking questions well, because you know, other I, piercings come up, you I know? think the main thing you know that people can still take from it is not to be an asshole. Yeah. Because I think sometimes you get so lost in the fact that you're right, or mm -hmm. you know, or you know, fairly certain that you're right. Yeah. And sometimes it's like with the ear gauges thing. Um, you should just take a moment to step back and be like, why am I being like a dog with a bone with this? Mm -hmm. You know, like I've said what I had to say. If they disagree with me, then that's it. They don't have to get sure. the piercing done. Sure. I think like, a lot of piercers to aim to impress. And sometimes yeah. they want to impress with knowledge. And sometimes that, sometimes like they're answering a question that no one asked. Yeah. And it's it does come off as a bit pretentious sometimes. Yeah. And I know because I come off as pretentious all the time. Um... So the next one is kind of like three group and, and first let me let me well not first and after a bunch of other stuff let me say that I, I really do appreciate people taking the time to submit questions. Um, some of them are kind of similar and I, I've grouped some of them together into categories and this one I think can be helpful for some people especially since a lot of people are shifting between uh, walk-ins and appointments and stuff like that but this question says um, they're looking for advice on time management in the piercing room or improving flow. And I would say if you're still doing walk-ins, consider going appointment only. Uh, if you're sticking with walk-ins, really just try to try to 
try to uh, get a good grasp of how much time you need for one client start to finish without multitasking during their service. And I, I never really had a full grasp on that because I was helping, you know, while this client was filling out a release form, this client was looking at jewelry, I was dropping something in the statum, I was coming and asking, answering questions about aftercare, then I was bringing someone in for a piercing, and it was like this constant multitasking. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't really have a grasp of how much time do I actually need for one person start to finish. Yeah. And now I have a better grasp on that being appointment only. So like my flow is great because it's appointment only and I can book exactly how much time I need for people. Um, if you're still trying to do that multitasking thing, uh, it's, it's really tough trying to improve your flow if you're the only person looking at it. Maybe have someone shadow you for the day and take notes on where they might see you kind of stumbling over yourself or being inefficient or just like going back and forth because you forgot something. Like you don't realize how efficient you are until someone else points out some stuff, sometimes mm -hmm. anyway. What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, for me, when people say time management, what I hear is client management mm -hmm. because that's what time management is for me when, mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of a working day, at least during business hours. Um, and time seems to get away from you when you do kind of get clients who have a way of hijacking the appointment a little bit. Maybe someone comes in for something and then they start asking you about something else. And before you know it, you've had a 10 minute conversation about a piercing they aren't even getting that day. Um, so I think that it's it's kind of like a something that you have to be aware of and conscious of. You have to be able to steer the situation with your client properly, um, be able to literally layer things in a certain order to help, your, help you with your time management. So if, um, if I'm speaking with a customer, um, I do everything in a certain way so that while they're busy doing something like their form, for example, I'm busy doing something else and um, the time is always being used. But if we get to that point where, you know, I need to be getting set up and someone says, I wanted to ask you about this thing, I'll just say to them, oh, absolutely, we're going to go through, we'll talk about that whilst we're getting you all cleaned and set up. Um, so I still always acknowledge the question and, and we talk about it and discuss it during the piercing or during the setup and, and that kind of thing. But you do have to be, I think as soon as you're aware of moments that clients are kind of hijacking the appointment, you can kind of steer it back on track a little bit but it's something that you do have to be conscious of. So to me, time management is more like client management mm -hmm. because if anything is going to get you kind of off the rails, that's usually what it is. It's, it's that 10 minute conversation you weren't expecting. Yeah it's, yeah, it's not even like a negative thing. It could just be somebody genuinely like making some inquiries sure. or maybe someone comes in and they're a regular client and there's something wrong with one of their piercings and you see it and you want to address it. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to get sidetracked. So for me, it's about just like picking those moments or if somebody suddenly starts asking me aftercare questions, but we're not at that point in the conversation. Sure. Um, and again, I'll go over aftercare while I'm waiting for the statum. So if I haven't set the statum off, set the statum off yet, I don't want to be talking about aftercare in length because that's something that I can be doing whilst that's running. So, you know, I might answer one or two questions, then I'll say, well, I'm going to go over all of this with you in depth. Mm -hmm. Let me just get your jewelry set off for you, and then we're going to take a good look at it together. Yeah. And then people are happy with that. So One thing I want to add to that really yeah. quick before I get off track is have a prepared answer for that exact interaction. Because yeah. if you come across as like, oh, I'm going to get to that at the end. Exactly. Then it comes off as really rude. But like, yeah. I get asked that every day, you know, and it's always... But what I always say is like, oh, do you have any questions for me? And if it's like, oh, yeah, aftercare, like I'll answer one or two while I'm setting up fine. But if they really want to go down the whole path of the full 
the full show for aftercare. Yeah. I'll say like, okay, so yeah, you do this and, and don't worry, I'm going to walk through all the aftercare at the end and you'll have a brochure to take home and you'll have my card for questions. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that usually kind of diffuses it. But there were points where I'm like, well, I'm going to get to the aftercare at the end. And it kind of sounded like I was like dismissing their question. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that that's a skill that a lot of piercers kind of need to develop is just learning how to manage their client. Mm -hmm. And we spend so much time um, thinking about how we manage them in the piercing room space. Um, if you're working in a studio that doesn't have a desk person, like I'm just working by myself at the mm -hmm. moment, and a lot of the time you're working by yourself too, um, and you're steering them through the entire interaction, it's not just focused to the piercing room, it's managing them at the counter, and, mm -hmm. and that includes you know managing their time when they're doing their form, when they're doing their aftercare, when they're making a jewellery selection. Um, and I'll, I'll usually give like a, a 30 minute appointment for something like a helix piercing. And in my head, that gives me a maximum of 10 minutes for jewelry selection, 10 minutes for doing uh, paperwork. Um, and I do that whilst the jewelry is being sterilized. Mm -hmm. And then that gives me about 10 minutes to do the helix piercing. Um, and often if people are pretty decisive with the jewelry that they want, really people only tend to take a couple of minutes. Um, and we end up having a lot more time to play around with. But the whole time, you know, I can keep one eye on the clock whilst I'm managing my client. And if it's getting close to that 10 minute mark, that's almost like a mental cutoff point in my head where I know, you know, we need to start making progress on this. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, knowing how long your appointments are, if you're working to appointment and not just making those lengths arbitrary um, and not just thinking, oh, well, how long roughly do I think it's going to take? Actually ask yourself what that time is for. Um, that's going to make it a lot easier for you to literally glance at a clock or glance at your or your watch and um, know whether you're ahead, whether you're behind, um, and just kind of steer the interaction. But mm. there's a huge difference between steering an interaction and being rude to your client or yeah. being dismissive to your client. Right. Um, and I think some piercers, maybe younger piercers, are almost a little bit nervous to they see it as a way of almost saying no to a client, mm -hmm. um, you know, or shutting down a conversation or a line of questioning. Um, and maybe they just have to develop those skills a little bit better in terms of their own confidence. Um, and because it is a part of client management, it's not shutting a client down to say, oh, well, you know, this is the answer to that question, but I'm going to go over all of this with you in just a few minutes, just to make sure that you understand everything. So don't worry. You know, there's a big difference between saying that and saying, yeah, we're going to talk about this later, mm -hmm. you know, so um, I think people just need to to view time management as client management. And if you're finding that you're constantly running out of time and you think that you've given yourself enough time, it has to be down to how your client is being ushered through the experience. And if there's a moment of dead air where you're just, you know, hanging out with your client, not doing anything, there's definitely a way of shuffling things around to keep you busy and animated during that dead space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you have dead moments where, you know, you're setting up for, for a few minutes and you're not talking, that's a that's a great moment to maybe that's when you do the aftercare or this, yeah. or that, like try to think again, what do you need? What do you need the client experience to be? Mm -hmm. They need to pick jewelry. They need to get pierced, pay for it, learn how to take care of it. Uh, you only have so much time uh, unless you're in a, a slower studio. So how do you best use that time and in what order and all that stuff? But also you want to get comfortable 
driving a scenario. Just like at the, the front counter, sometimes you need to walk people through what are the options and like help them get to the option they want instead of taking three hours for them to just kind of look at everything. Yeah. Same thing with the piercing room experience is, you know, you need to say, okay, now we're going to do this and now we're going to do this and now we're going to do this. Do you have questions? I'm going to answer this question, but we're going to go into it in an expanded version in a few minutes once we're done with the piercing, all that stuff. So it's hand-holding, but it's also guiding. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a big believer that the client experience begins when they you know, enter the door to the studio. That's mm-hmm. when their appointment starts, not when they go through into the piercing room to actually have the piercing done. Yeah. So that's as much of an extension of their appointment as any other part of it. So this next one, it, it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with that. Uh, how do you make time for yourselves on fully booked days or while taking walk-ins? And I'll, t- I'll tell you, going back to the, if you're not already appointment only, give it a shot at least because when I was doing walk-ins, there were days where it was like, okay, I'll, I'll maybe get to have lunch at five o'clock or not at all, or maybe I'll be like slammed for four hours and then dead for three hours. And now with it being appointment only, the whole day is just so stress-free. I mean, okay, maybe not, stress-free is not the right term for it, but um, I can I can manage it better because I can say in this eight hours, I'm going to give myself a hard half hour to clean and check emails and then maybe two hours of appointment time and then a half an hour for myself to sit down and eat lunch start to finish and then two more hours of client time and then maybe another shorter break, all those things. And it's great to be able to do that. Uh, but if you're walk-in only, it gets really tough for that. So you you really have to, you have to get comfortable saying, uh, I, I'm a human being, I need food and water, I need to use the toilet, I need to be able to sit down, I need to be able to do this, this different stuff. Um, there's nothing wrong with, with saying, you know, uh, I have a scheduled break after this client. I'm just going to take 10 minutes, have a quick snack, have some water, recharge, something like that. It can be, it can be tough if people are already waiting half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour more, something like that to say like, I, I need to take an extra 10 minutes for me to be able to give you my best. I know that you know what I'm talking about because you were a workaholic the same way that I was in a, in a walk-in environment is you don't prioritize yourself, you prioritize the client and that's, that's not good for either of you sometimes. Well, um, just as an interesting aside, the first one-star review that I ever got, and I'm fortunate I've not had that many, but I have had a couple over the years, and um, the, the first one that I ever got was because I wouldn't see somebody when I was eating food and it was the first day of like my lunch break system um, years and years ago I was in the same situation where you know I there were there were no scheduled breaks you ate when it was quiet but it was never quiet so you never ate or you would go out and get some food bring it back and then someone would come in and then you would deal with them and you wouldn't eat the food mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 not only is it like unhealthy in a physical way, but it's unsustainable, mm. especially when you're trying to push for professional workspace. How yeah. can with one hand you be saying, I want these massively professional standards for my clients, but on the other hand, I'm not going to drink water today and I'm not going to go to the bathroom today and I'm not going to eat food today. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Um, so uh, I got to a point where you know I said, I'm going to take a half hour break on an eight hour day which is the minimum in other forms of employment. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm going to do that. And uh, I'm just going to go out, get something to eat, eat it. And then, you know, by the time I'm done that, I'm back at work. And I remember it was the first day that I'd, you know, actually put that into practice. Um, and somebody walked in. I was sat with my food. Uh, and I think 
they said, uh, I want to look at your jewelry. And I, I, I even remember in my head, um, I think I said something like, well, if you know what you want, I'll go and get it for you. But if you're not sure, I'll be about 20 minutes. And they smiled and they said, okay, and they left and they went home and wrote an essay on Google, a massive review about how I was really horrible to them. And it's like, and I had a coworker there with me and I think I literally just said exactly what I said there. And so I was so surprised because I was like, wow, that person's insane. But also like, I was so mad because if it was any other day in the history of me working, I would have just ignored my food and just helped them. Mm -hmm. And it was literally the first day I'd ever said, no, I'm going to eat this for 20 minutes. And I got a one star review and I was just so gutted and so angry. So what did you do the next day? Did you take a lunch break or did you just power no, I, through? No, I took a lunch break okay, because, because I was like, well, what's the alternative that I never ever take a lunch break because of this woman mm -hmm. who ironically was probably in a rush to be seen because she was on her lunch break. <laughs> um, and after I got that review, I was like, well, you know, what's the, <laughs> what's the worst that can possibly, that could possibly happen? Um, unfortunately, the manager that was working at the time was like a completely nice, rational, lovely human being and wrote a reply to the review saying, you know, staff are allowed a lunch break and they were on their lunch break. Mm -hmm. they, so we don't even understand what the issue is here, but um, it was it was just so bizarre. It was the worst review I'd ever gotten. I didn't even pierce anybody. <laughs> it was crazy. But I, I'll always remember it because it was the first day that I'd ever said, no, I'm going to eat this sandwich. I think, I, in fact, I think it was like cold pasta or something. And I'd said that I was going to eat it. So I, I think that that's the worst thing people think will happen when they start taking lunch breaks. And it did happen. That is literally exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, but I've been taking lunch breaks ever since and nobody else has ever written such a bonkers review of me. So, I mean, you can worry about that happening because it did definitely happen. But the alternative is you, you never take a lunch break at work because you're scared that someone who's obviously a very unkind person will just say horrible things about you on the internet. I mean, that's insane. Well, in lots of other jobs, not even ones that are high profession jobs, ones that are just retail, whatever, at least in the States, you have to take a, a, a break. When I, when I yeah. worked retail before, it didn't matter if you were slammed, like Black Friday, as busy as it gets or whatever, they'd be like, you have to go take your break now. It's a law. You have yeah. to go take your break now. So uh, you can you can always use the villain of being like, well, they're they're mandated that they have to take a break for an eight-hour shift. They have to take a half-hour break, and they're scheduled after this client. You can do that if you need to. You know, if 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 you're not good being the bad guy yourself, but I don't think that that makes you bad of saying I need the basic human things like sustenance. Isn't it weird that people are always more angry when it's you that's saying you need it for yourself? Mm -hmm. If it's your boss that's saying it, they don't care. They would say, yeah. oh, well, that's fine. Yeah. But if you actually say to a customer, I'm gonna need to take a short break, they're more mad at you mm -hmm. than they would be if it was your boss that had yeah. said, oh, they're on their break. Well, it's like, the, it's, it's, like that, it's like the road construction thing, if it's like, you're gonna get stopped, or like a train, or something yeah. like that. That's why people get killed trying to drive across train tracks when there's a train coming, because some people just can't wait a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I, I would I would just say, you know, you can't, I mean, everyone goes through a phase. I don't, I don't think that I've ever stopped being a workaholic, but everyone goes through that phase of just, um, you know, turning up at work and not thinking about food or drink or bathroom breaks or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think what did it for me, me as well, was that I've, I've never been a smoker, 
and I was surrounded by people that were constantly taking yeah, smoke breaks. Constantly. And I got that proper non-smoker anger where I was like, I'm going to get a sandwich and I'm going to take a sandwich break yeah. and I'm going to eat a sandwich because everybody else is taking smoking breaks all day and I'm up here working. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I think that there's definitely a limit to how long you can push yourself to work that way. Um, and like you say, and it's the same here as well, there is a legal requirement to take a break in all other types of employment other than being self-employed. And mm -hmm. if you're working for a studio and you're not self-employed and you're an employee, you have to be getting a break. Um, so it's really just people that are completely self-employed, um, like me, who have to determine when to take breaks for themselves, which is often when it's the hardest mm -hmm. to kind of make yourself do that. But I mean, the worst thing that can possibly happen is a customer gets bad and writes you a horrible review. And that is exactly what happened the first time that I took a lunch break, but it hasn't happened since. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm glad because I mean, imagine if I'd have never taken a lunch break again because of one horrible person who I've never seen before and have never seen since. That's crazy. Well, uh, drink some water. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last one of this grouping is, a lot of it's personal preference. Uh, the role of music in a piercing room, what works for clients and what works for you. Uh, that's something that's, I've evolved on that a lot. It used to be uh, Viking metal and, you know, loud hip hop and, and whatever constantly. And it was just like, what, what does the staff want to listen to? And I know that in, in studios, especially ones that have tattooing, a lot of it is an artistic process. Artists want to be in the zone and, and stuff like that. But uh, for me, as a, as a body piercer, uh, especially in, in my shop, tattooing is on a, a separate floor than, than piercing. Um, I want it to be calm for the client. I want to create a certain kind of customer experience and, and vibe, and I want them to be calm and comfortable and, and ready to spend money in a professional environment. So I don't want them coming in and hearing like, and swear, 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 and, and all that stuff. I want them, it's like when you go into any other fine retail space or salon or something like that like you're listening to calm comfortable music that a, a, a mom with her kids would be okay listening to yeah. that's exactly how I want to do it you can have that skewed to your own personal preference so you can kind of stay in a in a vibe and in a groove but um, at a certain point you have to ask yourself like what is the studio presentation for is it for me to feel comfortable is this just an extension of my living room or is this a space for clients to come and spend money in a in a, in a professional arena uh, so for me music has really changed a lot i know it's tough if you are not the owner if you're not the person picking it if you're maybe like newer uh or like you're a baby piercer it full of a, stu a studio full of vets or something like that i know it can be really tough to be like would you, would you mind just putting on some like mariah carey or something uh it can be tough but what's your thought on it um well in my my old job things got so bad at one point that uh, we actually implemented a system where everyone got a music hour. <laughs> so apart from the apprentices, because there weren't enough hours in the day, so the, the rule was that they, had to, that they got to pick last. Yeah. Um, so uh, everybody got given an hour in an eight hour day um, and the, were, the hours were just picked at random and it was like, you just go in and see them, you know, like the, the tattooer, whoever's turn it was and say, okay, it's two, what do you want for the next hour? And they would just pick a thing and even if everyone else hated it, 
they just had to eat it because it was only going to be on for an hour and then it'd be someone else's turn. That's how like extremely bad it got that we had to have like a system in place for scheduled music listening. Uh, I would actually, like to listen to Natafrost, please. It actually went okay. I think I think we did that for like a year and then it kind of the system kind of broke down a little bit. But um, for me personally, uh, I I like music that's that's quite varied. Um, I think that's the big difference between tattooers and piercers is that uh, tattooers have a captive audience, you know, like they, they have a client who's come in to see them, say for a three hour appointment. So they can literally put on whatever music they want. The customer is not going to get up and leave, particularly for um, tattooers that have been working a long time and have a regular client base and are very much used to the atmosphere. Um, they can be quite kind of set in their ways. So they may not have a big desire to think about something like is the music enjoyable um, with, for with my tattooers client? Tattooers too. There's also a big side of it where a lot of the experience of getting tattooed by an individual that you seek out and set an appointment with is experiencing their brand yeah, during the visit. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, listening so to their different. music in a space full of their art that can be part of the tattoo vibe. And then there's the option of. Um, you know, listening to music yourself with your headphones whilst you're getting tattooed. Mm -hmm. And so it is a very different kind of situation. Yeah. And I think that's when it's so difficult for crossover tattoo and piercing studios where they have to listen to the same music. Mm. Because what's suitable to listen to during a tattoo appointment where, you know, you're not even really paying attention to the music. Um, you're just kind of like chatting with your artist mm -hmm. or you're zoned out or you're listening to your own music. Um, that's fine. But that same music that's playing is going to be the only person that someone that's in for a 20 or 30 minute piercing appointment is going to hear. Mm -hmm. That's going to be the only impression they get of the studio. Um, so that can have a, a big effect on how much time they want to spend there, how much money they want to spend there. I'm definitely more aware now. Um, there were definitely times where I would be working with a client and a song would come on that was obviously really inappropriate for whatever it was we were doing. And I would just end up making a joke about it and just mm -hmm. point out that the song was on because I just couldn't, in my head, I was just like, I can't, I can't yeah. let them think that I think that this, that yeah. this is an appropriate right. song. So like we would just so talk about it. So you don't play wet ass pussy at work. Yeah, well, we would just talk about it and, and joke about it and yeah. stuff. And I, I just couldn't let it kind of just hang there in the air. Um, but now I tend to just have music in my reception and I actually am used to, to working completely silently in the piercing room, mm. which is actually really relaxing yeah. um, and I think helps me with client interactions a little bit too. As long as you don't fart. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I can certainly see more now that there's a huge amount of immaturity to to people working in studios that are going to say, well, it's my shop, mm -hmm. it's my shop, and I want to listen to this music, so I'm going to listen to this music because it's my favorite. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, you, you should probably just be a little bit more secure in yourself that yeah. it's your shop right. um, and be aware of the fact that um, people are probably going to spend more money in your shop if you're not playing, uh, I don't know, what's something I really hate? Scam music. <laughs> Sorry, I, I hate scam music. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. I can't, I can't. Um, I, I just can't deal with it. Um, it has no correlation to me in my head with like an enjoyable experience. Let's not go down a ska hole. But, no. Because it could be anything for anybody. Yes, but for me it's ska. Well, I, I aim for, I like the term wallpaper music. Yeah. Uh, music that doesn't take away from the core experience, which is them getting a piercing or yeah. picking out some beautiful jewelry. I want to have something that they can listen to and instantly forget. Yeah. Something that doesn't make them uncomfortable. The general rule in my studio is like, 
nothing really high tempo, nothing aggressive, nothing with swears. Like it can be rock music, it can be hip hop, but it's gotta be something that's just like, it's, I don't know, something that you don't get stressed out by or that somebody who has never heard that music before would get stressed out by. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to have, my, my old studio when it was tattooing and piercing all on the same floor, we did the same kind of thing, but it was like, it was a mix. We'd have c CDs or like um, internet radio and it's like everybody picks a, a band and we put it on shuffle or something like that. And it worked out some of the time, but rolling those dice was uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. Now I just like, I like people to be able to stay calm and focus on what I'm talking about or the experience or the piercing and not be like taken out of that moment by the wrong kind of music. Yeah, uh, but music can also be a really fun talking point too. Sure. You know, like if you're working on, a, if you're working to a playlist and something comes on, and you know, I have a lot of those moments where a client will say, you know, I haven't heard this song in ages, and mm. it can make people feel comfortable and spark conversation sure. as well. So, sure. um, I definitely think it's worth considering. I think if you're in that headspace of, well, it's me that's at work, and I just want to listen to what I want to listen to. I don't know, I just think that you need to accept that you might be damaging your own business. And if it's your sure. business and it's your choice to make that decision, then go for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just understand that it is shaping someone else's experience that is paying you money. So yeah. maybe shooting yourself in the foot a little bit to die but on it, that Somebody hill. said something to me along the lines of like, you listen to your music on your time. When you're at work, listen to something that the, com the customers are gonna be comfortable with. On the flip side of that coin, on the tattoo floor, it's really no holds barred. It's like, okay, yeah. like you can't, you can't play anything that's offensive, but yeah. like if you want to listen to metal or if you want to listen to whatever with one or two swears or something like that, you know, that's okay because I think people are okay with that for the tattoo experience. Yeah. With piercing, um, sometimes people want to listen to maybe like different music in their room and I think that can be even more jarring. If you go from like rock and roll heavy metal out in the lobby to like, you know, whales singing to each other in the piercing room. Sometimes that can be such a jarring experience that that can be weird. Yeah, it's like you're trying too hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess listen to what makes you comfortable, but realize that uh, sometimes like dressing like a professional and preventing a prof uh, presenting a professional environment is, yeah. it is going to make you more money. If you want to wear your favorite t-shirt or sweatpants or listen to your favorite music or you know hang up a, a half-naked woman on a motorcycle on a, for a poster do all that stuff at home you can listen to your own music whenever you want when you're at work listen to something that the clients are going to be okay with yeah um, so that's it for that kind of block i've got another block that i'm not entirely sure if you're going to want to get into it but we'll give it a shot okay and if you don't like it you just tell me and we'll pass um and one of the first subjects that people gave me, and there's a couple of things that go along with it, is just having and losing faith in the APP. So that sounds very serious. It, well, it, it can be serious, but like I, I want to, I don't want to, you know, go down the hole on it. Mm -hmm. But we can we can hit on this stuff lightly. There's one that I, I think a lot of people get into. I had the exact same experience at one point in, in my career too. It says I've been upgrading slowly over the past four to five years. Um, I'm still working to upgrade and better myself, yet my online interactions with lots of APP members has left me with little to no desire to be an APP member. Mm. Um, yes, I am up to minimum standards, yet that wording uh, has made me feel lesser as a person because for years I couldn't afford to be where I am now. Years of being looked down on makes me think about not 
attending a conference or applying for membership? What do you think I should do and why? What, what is the APP doing to combat online bullying of its members? I, I'm not on the board anymore. I'm not on a committee anymore, so I can't speak for the organization. I think that's really important to, to start off with. But um, I'll say that you, you can't police how people talk to each other. I think the best thing you can do is just be a good influence. And what I like to, what I like to say is just like, we all kind of started out not knowing anything. A lot of us started out in, in situations where we didn't have everything that we wanted. Uh, maybe we didn't even know what we wanted and then we had to kind of grow into it. And I think plenty of those piercers who would say like, you know, I am greater than, you are lesser than. I think a lot of them, if you flash back two years into the past, they were doing the same stuff. So I think a lot of times you have to say like, what's the harm in people growing? Like, I, I think people wanting to grow is the important thing to nurture not trying to like make yourself look above them or something. That whole concept of like, well, I'm an APP member, so now I'm superior to you is, is really, uh, to me, offensive as an APP member because I think people should strive for it. I think people should be encouraged to strive for it. And when people achieve those minimum standards, that doesn't mean that it's a finish line. You can always get a little bit better. You can always work a little bit harder. You can always improve yourself. And I think it's just important to inspire those people instead of being an asshole yeah. and kind of being like, well, you're not as good as me because I got a two-year head start on you or whatever. Yeah. So is, is that anything you want to talk about or is that a landmine? No, it's not a land. Look, I'm already stressed because I worry that I'll have upset people that are into acupuncture, okay? <laughs> like this is, how, I, this is what I hate about these things. Yeah. I love having these conversations with you but I don't have any time to vet my thoughts. And that just immediately makes me be like, oh crap, what have I said now? Right. So I already have that, I already have it. With this, I actually feel it's less of a landmine um, because I've been that person. Um, and what I would say to that, I wanna be like on Frasier and be like, hi caller. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say to that person is, first of all, the APP has how many members? What, like 700 members? Something like that. Let's say, let's say it's seven, because I remember it, you, it was six something and that was a while ago. Um, so it could be more than that. But say there's 700 members. Um, you know, when you're, when you're seeing things like, I don't want to necessarily call it online bullying, um, because I, I think that that's really subjective. Um, when it comes to criticisms given online, um, it is subjective as to at what point that crosses over into bullying and I think sometimes it does and mm. sometimes it doesn't yeah. and there is such a thing as being an arsehole but not necessarily bullying somebody but there is an overwhelming kind of tidal wave of effect when 20 or 30 people all make one short comment the comment itself isn't a bullying comment but when there's 20 or 30 of them it Feel feels bad. like online bullying so that's what I'm saying when I think that I think sometimes in situations like that, it is difficult because it's hard to say that one person said something that was offensive um, or that was wrong. You know, people can make criticisms of your work that are hurtful and it's when there's 20 or 30 people doing it or even 70 people doing it that it can feel like this overwhelming tidal wave of, of bullying and hurt. Um, but there are seven, 700 people in the APP, give or take, and. Um, you know, I went to the APP conference last year for the first time. Uh, I'd never been before. Um, I'm in the UK APP. I'm on the board for the UK APP. Um, 
and I've been to you know various conferences and things around the world. And what I would say is before going to every one, even the UK APP one, which I'm currently involved in planning, I'm scared of going because I'm scared that people are going to behave in a way that's intimidating to me or you know, look down on me or now, you know, expect more of me than what I can give. And there's always that fear there. But every time I've gone, all I've met are people who are very lovely and supportive and want to reach out to you and encourage you and tell you that you're doing a great job or that, you know, they've seen your work or they've seen something that you've done or they want to learn about what part of the world that you're from, if they're from somewhere they've never heard of. Mm -hmm. So I have never met someone in person who has been very unpleasant to me in that way, I don't think, uh, or if I have, I can't, I can't remember it strongly. Um, and so I wouldn't be put off. I, I think that if you go to one of these events when it's safe to do so, um, what you'll actually see is the other, you know, 600 people that are involved that aren't those people that are, are lurking in forums on mm -hmm. the internet. Um, and in terms of the APPs, policy on bullying. I believe they do have an anti-bullying policy. Um, but what I would say is you have to remember that the APP isn't the people police and that an APP member can be in forums that aren't regulated by the APP. Yeah. The APP can regulate their own forums, um, but there's nothing to stop those you know, 700 odd members sprawling out into being in forums all over the internet. Mm -hmm. There can't be a system in place to police everything that all of those people say. And the system that is in place is the one that's in place for everyone on Facebook, for example, which is that you can't say things that are offensive in a certain nature. Threatening or something. Yeah, exactly. Threatening, homophobic mm -hmm. or, or racist and that kind of thing. Um, but if it just comes to people criticizing your work and making you feel small, you just have to be bigger than those people. Um, because when I see those message chains where someone asks a question and 70 people pile on with basically the same answer, when I look at that, I'm like, man, there's 65 massively insecure people that they all have to go on that message chain and comment just so that everyone knows that they also know it's the right answer. Mm -hmm. Even though the person that asked the question has been told five times already. Sure. That's what it looks like to everyone else. So I know that it's really hard when you have like a group of a few dozen people kind of piling on you and, and answering a question in a way that's maybe not as kind as it could be. Um, but I would, I would say don't, don't let that put you off actually going out and meeting people because people that go out of their way to travel from around the world to go to these events, they're the people that you want to meet because they, they want to learn and they want to meet you. Well, another thing that I'll say is that the person who wrote this seems like they, they care about body piercing. Mm -hmm. They want to get better. And I would say like you are the exact person who should be an APP member. You are the exact kind of person the APP needs. We, the APP needs people that care because the APP is its members. Uh, so if you think that maybe some members are pretentious or too judgmental or something like that, become a member and, and, and change it. And, and like you said, take the high road and, and be yeah. the best representation of an APP member if you think someone else is not. And I don't mean it in the same way of like, you know, oh, they're not good enough to be an APP member. Just be an APP member and be the best you can be, and then that will reflect great on the APP, especially yeah. if you think other people don't reflect on it well. I'm, I'm an APP member. As I say, I'm also a UK APP member. I'm the current president of the UK APP, and I can tell you now that there are probably a hundred APP members who, if they saw my original membership video for joining the APP, would have 
absolutely tore me to pieces. Oh, me too. Unfortunately for me, those people weren't on the membership committee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that that's all that matters. Those, those people's opinions don't matter. They don't pay my bills. Yeah. Um, and and they're not interested in me improving myself. Um, and, and I've improved a lot since then. And even when I opened my studio less than a year ago, I had feedback from the APP. I had suggestions. I had things they wanted me to do, even you know years into being an APP member. So that that goal for self improvement it doesn't go away. It doesn't stop, um, and it doesn't mean that anyone's saying that you're not good enough either. So well. Um, before we get too far on this answer, I yeah. wanted to give you another one, which will be similar. Yeah. And also, before we start talking about it, I want to apologize to the person that submitted because you're not going to like my answer. <sighs> so um, this next one says, when will piercers be policed? Because there's a lot of APP and UK APP members who are only members because they meet the room criteria, not because they're actually good piercers. It's something that's really starting to bother me. The easiest thing that I want to tell you is from my experience, you might want to think about trying to evolve um, who you are as a body piercer and maybe try to transition into more of a mentor role rather than more of a judgmental role because you will never, ever, in an organization that has more than two people, you will never be happy with 100% of the people in that organization. Um, My experience with the APP before, during, and after being on the board, the concept of, well, there should be tiered membership because, like, I'm better than other members. It's like, well, maybe maybe try not to look at it that way. When it does go back to those minimum standards, you're saying, like, you know, okay, they are using good jewelry. They are working in a safe environment. They are taking care of the safety of their clients, but maybe you just don't like their aesthetics or maybe they're not as tenured as you. Maybe they don't have 10 or 15 years experience. Maybe they only have two or three years experience. People have to grow. Uh, I'm about 22 years into my career and if I flash back to when I was like five years in, I was like by my standards today, I was a bad piercer. And if someone had told me like, you're a bad piercer, hang up your needles, get out of the industry, it would have crushed me because it was everything that I wanted to be. So you have to look at it and see that it's like, it's a career and people get better over time. And if you think that someone isn't as good as you, um, that's the kind of person that you should be mentoring or talking to or encouraging them to come to conference or to shadow or to do other things. Um, but like, if you want the industry policed, who 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 is actually qualified in, uh, Um, impartial enough to actually judge someone like I've screwed up piercings before every piercer has screwed up piercings before like who who does the policing is I guess my question Mm, who watches the watchman who watches the watchman Uh, yeah I I would say to this person I I don't feel that the industry can be policed in that way Um, but more importantly I don't think that it should be policed in that way Um, that's like saying, you know, when are they going to stop it being an option for you to get a bad haircut? (laughs) People vote with their wallets and there are always going to be shops that put out higher quality work and shops that put out lower quality work. Um, And that's just the kind of landscape of options that there are whenever you're selecting a service. Um, Health and safety organizations like the APP and the UKPP, which is what they are, they're health and safety organizations. They are not technical skill organizations. There's no um, way to qualify that. No, there's not. Um, and so 
what we look for are, are things like markers for um, hygiene standards and you know public health safety and that kind of thing. Um, so like you say, everyone makes mistakes at work. I know I've made mistakes at work. Every other piercer that I know has. And so what would you suggest happens? Um, what would you like to see happen when you mess up a piercing? Right. Um, and, and, and how on earth can that be policed? Um, are people going to be auditing the work? Is it, is it a case of people are making complaints that the work wasn't carried out correctly, that a piercing's come out crooked? Mm -hmm. How's that going to be verified? Also, How what happens when you're the person on the other side of that police action? Like, if yeah. you want to tell me that 100% of the piercings you've ever done are perfect, I'll, I'll tell you that you might want to look at your work harder. Um, I would like to think that I'm a very high quality piercer, but like I know that sometimes stuff doesn't go the way I want it to. So it's like, what if somebody looked at my work from a bad day and then what are they going to say? Like, I'm, I'm out of the organization because something yeah. came out crooked. I think the the thing that you want to look at is like, okay, they worked to be an APP member or a UK APP member. So it's like, they're, they're trying. Uh, just... Like, exactly. Cut them a break. Like they're, piercers they're, that I don't like, or yeah. that, or you know, if a piercer that I didn't like joins the APP or the UK APP, that wouldn't make me feel you know lesser for having my membership. Mm -hmm. um, I think it can be frustrating when you've worked really hard to achieve what is in your mind a goal, yeah. like being and you the feel APP like someone else APP, didn't work as hard, but they hit the same goal. You feel like someone else has come along, and you know they've joined and now they're capitalizing on it and maybe you feel that they don't deserve that, but in the nicest possible way, that's not your journey, mm -hmm. and, and that's literally not your business, in that it's somebody else's business. Um, and so you really need to look at different ways that uh, you can make your business really shine and stand out that don't involve, literally, as you put it, policing somebody else's work. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I just, I don't think that there's any way for that to be implemented and not have it be Horrifying. Well, as an example, like I'm part of a, I'm part of an advisory board for my local health department, mm -hmm. which is literally police, policing body piercing in in my state, and there's there's nothing that says like, well, you know, if they're just not good at it, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, what do we like? Do they have a hand washing sink? Do they have non-porous flooring? Like those are yeah. the things. Like it's it's got to be a checklist. It can't be subjective. The APP had these conversations of like, well, if we're going to have these like additional tiers or whatever, if there's going to be like a diamond level of membership or something like that, how do you decide who's going to be on it? There are piercers in my town, I can tell you local ones, where it's like if they worked towards membership, like I would be annoyed, certainly annoyed, exactly. but I'm not going to try to use my membership to hurt them as like retribution for them trying to step up. Yeah. I'm just going to focus on what I focus on, which is like do the best I can in my shop. If other people want to try their best and like try and fail, that's on them. But it's like it, at least if they're working to that, you know, minimum standard, if people find that offensive, I think maybe try to relax a little bit. But if they're working to that minimum safety standard, the rest is like their well, bad know, business model. I, I think that it was really interesting to have these two questions together because I feel like in a way they're opposite sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. You know, or they could be, which is the important thing, um, because these could be people that don't know each other and have never met or talked to each other. Um, and you know, you'll have one person on the one hand who is trying to get to a minimum standard, um, but 
may need real develop developmental work in other areas. And then you'll have someone that's agitated that someone has just met the minimum standards whilst they're head and shoulders above the minimum standards and feel that they should, you know, have a more elevated position or maybe the other person should be on probation or being policed. Um, and in those situations, I get it. I work in an incredibly crowded marketplace. Um, it's, a, it's an insane amount of studios that I work around. And so I had to learn a really long time ago to ignore all of it. Mm -hmm. If, I mean, if every other studio in town became an APP member or a UK APP member, I couldn't let that affect my business model or what it is that I'm doing. Because the fact that I'm an APP and a UK APP member aren't what makes my business everything that it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that you need to separate those things. And also, while I do appreciate your frustration, what I would say is, I want you to get a picture in your head of the worst piercing you've ever done. Like the worst piercing that, that, that ever left your studio or the worst way that you messed up or maybe contaminated something accidentally during a piercing. And then imagine that the APP police came in on that day and watched you work. Um, because that, that would be the reality that you'd be creating. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that everybody should really hold that picture in their head when they go to work, um, just to kind of feel a little bit of humility about what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and, and I say that being someone who is surrounded by studios that offer a range of work at different skill levels. And I can see work that's amazing and I can see work that is among the worst piercing work that I've ever seen. And, and I just kind of, ha I don't even ask who's doing it or where it's come from because it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't change that the fact that they've come into my studio, um, it doesn't even matter to me if it was done in an APP shop, a UK APP shop. In that moment, it doesn't matter because your status as a member to a nonprofit health and safety organization cannot be what your business hinges on. Right. Um, like you're going, you're going to be excellent or not excellent based on your own merits. Yeah. Um, and once you cross that minimum standard line kind yes. of a thing, all of it uh, uh, beyond that is really just like, can you shine or can you not shine? Yeah. And if you can shine, just, just shine. And then, and then that just, like you have to have different levels for you to be able to shine. So if you feel like you're this uh, piercer version of excellence, like not everyone can be excellent or, I, or else no one is excellent. I don't know if that's like a shitty way to frame it, but it's like, you can only control what goes on in your own studio. Yeah. The only policing that I would want to see is health and safety policing. Yeah. Anything above that, aesthetics, talent, all that stuff, like you can't quantify that. You can't police that. You, you just have to do the best you can and show clients that you're the one that they should pick. Um, but you really shouldn't try to like push other people down to do it. Yeah. Unless it's a health and safety issue, then Absolutely. That's something yeah. that an organization or, uh, you know, a, a governing body should, should be involved in. Mm -hmm. um, the last bit, and I don't even know if you want to hit on this, uh, it just says accountability in the industry. And I don't know exactly what they mean by accountability in the industry. I think that the APP has made a lot of strides um, as far as, you know, how to submit a complaint and how complaints are handled. Um, so I, I think... I think a lot of it is already there. I think when a lot of the other accountability comes into it, it's more personal actions. I think if something is, is criminal, if something is assault, or if something is a health and safety issue, I think now that accountability is in place. 
I think a lot of other accountability is something that falls into more of like, this is a problem with a person. This isn't the fact that they're a piercer. It's just that maybe they're just a shitty person. So sometimes it's tough to talk about accountability without knowing more specifics about what you want them to be held accountable for. But when I think it comes to um, assault, harassment, or a health and safety issue, I, I think that the APP has made huge strides in, in creating that accountability. I think it's, it's also worth saying as well that um, accountability in the industry doesn't solely rest on the APP, as yeah. the APP isn't the industry. Mm -hmm. It's a health and safety organization within the industry that, that promotes you know, health and safety and those ideals and has conference. And because it does um, put on organized events, it is important, uh, and for the UK APP as well, it is essential that they have systems in place um, to keep attendees safe and to help promote member safety. But that's not where the industry starts and ends. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as you say, accountability has to come from within. I know yeah. that sounds cheesy because it's unsatisfying and it's not public. Um, but for me, um, I know that a lot of this past year, there has been a huge amount of um, publicity around uh, accountability in terms of inappropriate sexual behavior, mm -hmm. inappropriate sexual harassment of piercers in the industry, mm -hmm. especially younger piercers, female piercers, um, uh, non-binary piercers, and um, you know, counter staff, apprentices, people that are in vulnerable positions. Um, I think that um, there's been a huge amount of that in the industry. But for me, when I hear the word accountability, um, obviously I don't have, I've, you know, thankfully, uh, never been in a situation where I believe I've ever put somebody in a, in a situation that would require me to be accountable to them. But that doesn't mean that I'm not accountable for other things, you know, like other things that I want to be responsible for in my life. So when I hear the word accountability as it relates to me, um, I think about things that I want to do better in ways that I could be better, ways that I could have been better. And every one of those things starts inside my head and has to manifest in ways that I act, in ways that I behave, in ways that I talk. Um, and in ways that I want to do better. Um, and so I think when it comes to things like accountability, I, while well, I can see that there is a need for public accountability, um, I just feel that for accountability of all different kinds, it has to honestly start from within and then manifest itself in actions and words to be genuine and to be authentic. Um, so that's, that's what I think of when I hear about it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know that I want to go much further than that. And I also want to say that you're much smarter and more eloquent than I am. I feel like I just balls all of that right up. No, I think it was great. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry if it sounded stupid. No, it's, it's, it's such a, we can't boil down accountability into a five or no. 10 minute answer anyway. Um, I think you have personal ownership over who you want to associate with, who you want to give your money to, who you want to support. So you can certainly say, you know, I don't like this person. If, there, if there's something where a complaint needs to be made or action needs to be taken, I, I think within the industry there are mechanisms in place now. If it's not something where there is a mechanism in place, uh, like, like you said, you can speak with your, your dollars. If it's something where it's a professional, where it's just like, well, I, I don't want to take a class from them or support their studio or do this or do that because they're just, they're a shitty person. Um, you know, you can take accountability on yourself. Mm -hmm. I would say 
Facebook is maybe not the best place to to try to hold people accountable. Um, but I, I don't really want to get into it too much because it's such a... It's hard. It's, it's a deep, it, deep subject. It's, it's unreasonable, frankly, to expect anybody to have an answer to that. It's yeah. not a question with an answer. It's, it's, in a question, it's a question you can have an opinion on. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, people can have whatever opinion on it feels right for them. And for yeah. me, when I think about accountability, I just think of... I know it sounds silly, and I feel silly using it as an example, but I'm not, um, because I'm, I'm not an alcoholic, so I've never been through that program, but I know other people that have, and, and so I know a little bit about the process of accountability that they've gone through, um, and a little bit of what that involves, and it has nothing to do with posting things on the internet and making public statements. It's like real internal work Soul and work surging. with the people around you. Yeah. So I wouldn't like to say that I know a great deal about that, but I know a little bit about it. And um, I just feel like if you're, if you're looking for answers on Facebook, you're not going to find them on Facebook. You, you need to be prepared for the fact that you might never get the, the answers that you want to get. Um, and, and you need to be able to find peace with, with yourself um, in your life. And if you are someone that's been held accountable for something that you did that was wrong, you need to understand that you may never get forgiveness, you may never get redemption. That's not what accountability is. Um, so, I don't know, I just think that real accountability, it has little to do with what goes on in Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about the people in my life who have hurt me the worst, if I saw a public apology from them on Facebook, or a private apology, I wouldn't give a shit. It wouldn't mean anything to me. It wouldn't change anything. So, I don't know, I, I, I just... I hope that people can can move past the, you know, looking for answers on social media that um, I don't think that, that's going to fix anything. Yeah. Well, and I also don't see people doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've gotten through a lot of the the chunk questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna end with yeah. something that I want to call the lightning round. Okay. Because somebody submitted one thing that's like multiple things okay. so I'm just gonna read it off and just answer it however it comes to your mind okay. as little or as much as you want all right get ready are you ready yeah where the fuck can we buy sterile gloves question mark or gloves in general question mark when will this all end question mark how many marshmallows can you fit in your mouth the infi the environmental effect of going all disposable who fucking uses nostrils anymore and why and after COVID can we all agree to still not do tongues yes yes I would like to not pierce tongues. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't mind piercing them. Okay, no, no, that's wrong. I do mind piercing. Like, I'll if pierce I a tongue. If I could have like a tongue-sized glory hole that people <laughs> could put their tongue through and I could just pierce it. You know what it's called? Just take it's it called away. a glory hole. Yeah, if they, and then they could just take it away. That I wouldn't mind, yeah. but um, I just, I hate touching people's tongues. Mm. It's, it's like, even when I think back to when I was first kind of like learning how to pierce, it's the only thing that was just like, oh, I don't like this. You know what's worse for me than what? piercing tongues is troubleshooting problems with tongues because it all involves around like, do you want a toothbrush? Yeah. Yeah. Sterile gloves. Uh, I'll tell you because like, I, I've had lots of problems. Um, it's not... It can't just be about sterile gloves. I'm going to lump together things like you need to have more than one vendor lined up in your mind. You need to have a good system in place of how you manage your own stock and inventory. You need to have an idea of, um, okay, if 
company A doesn't have what I need. Do I have a company B? Do I have a company C? Do I understand what their supply chain is like or how long it takes to get something in? It's gonna be the same thing. Like if you run into a problem with sterile gloves or with masks or with 18 gauge 516th librette backs, like all the things that you've ever run into a problem as as a body piercer, things that are like, oh shit, it's gonna take me four months to get this when it normally took four days or four weeks. Um, you need to have multiple vendors lined up for anything. So if you don't have multiple vendors, if you only have one vendor on anything, sooner or later you're gonna run into a big problem. So just like diversify. Uh, know multiple places where you can get stuff and know how your vendors get stuff. Do you need to go straight to the source you know, for certain things? Do you need to go out of the country to get certain things if it's, if it's really bad with COVID stuff? When um, this all first popped off and face masks were insane, I was looking into just buying a pallet of face masks from a manufacturer in China. Uh, and, you know, that, that was a dead end. But um, I can't give you an answer on sterile gloves. Uh, and if I had an answer, uh, like, I would have more sterile gloves than I have, which I don't. So um, best of luck to you because everybody's in that same boat right now. Um, the environmental effect of going disposable. Do you want to touch on that at all? Um, I don't really. I, I, I mean, I have I have some some thoughts about it. You know, like I was in a studio that was you know an entirely reprocessing studio, and now I'm in a studio that's entirely disposable. So I went straight from one to the other, and I guess it depends on how your local area disposes of waste. I mm. guess, um, and how how your waste is classified. That's going to have an effect on it. But I can certainly say that um, uh, in terms of not just uh, the cost, but the amount of waste produced, it does create less waste for me to just use a single disposable receiving tube or disposable tool if I need to, um, instead of uh, you know getting something and reprocessing it and all of the PPE that involves and all the packaging and all the chemicals and, and all that kind of thing. Um, but for me it's more about the physical amount of waste so where i am i have to put everything in my clinical waste like all of my i know that you can recycle some things and you know if it's not grossly contaminated like you can take wrapping from your gloves and that kind of thing and mm -hmm. and recycle it and everything um with me you're you're really not supposed to put any waste from the studio of any kind apart from maybe food or drink you know waste um, into any kind of uh, regular waste collection. Um, all of it has to go into clinical waste, like 100%. So it makes a massive difference for me being disposable. Yeah. Um, I definitely use, uh, I, I definitely produce significantly less waste than I used to working that way um, because of the amount of excess packaging that I don't need. And it was really yeah. the packaging that was taking up most of the space in my bin, mm -hmm. that was filling up my bin bags that then have to be incinerated mm -hmm. um, or, or buried, depending on the type of waste that it's classed as. I think that, that my waste is actually, in, has, actually has to be incinerated. Um, so for me, I can really see literally the visual difference because I know how many bags I used to fill and I know how many I fill now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of do get that sort of satisfying look at how much less waste I actually make. Well, for me, um, I, can, I can look at how many cases of sterilization packaging that I, that I order every yeah. year, and that's gonna have a ton of plastic. I can look at all the chemicals that I use in my ultrasonic and 
you know, flushing that down a sink uh, yeah. legally, but flushing that down a sink. Yeah. Um, so on one side, you can see it this way, uh, you know, with disposable, you know, you are throwing out maybe a lot more metal and things like that. And maybe there's like, uh, if you go all the way back to a factory, maybe the manufacturing process isn't green or whatever. But I mean, you're going to be throwing out stuff no matter what. You can't have a fully green piercing studio because you can't really recycle the, the materials mm. that we're using or at least 100% of them. For me, the biggest reason to go completely disposable um, was just... Laziness. No, no, not, not laziness. Um, there, there are actually times um, that I wish that I could reprocess something um, just, you know, and, and have everything ready to go in bulk so that I could just grab it. You know, there's a huge convenience that comes with, you know, just making everything that I need for an appointment assembled and ready to go in the statin. But for years, having everything ready to go in a package is so handy mm -hmm. for any situation. But on the other side of that, it was taking me probably a couple of days out of my entire month to get that packaging and labeling and sterilizing mm. done. So for me, it was more about the man hours that I was losing and sure. the amount of money that I was losing yeah. because I couldn't work, I couldn't do piercings because I was doing all of this other work um, that had to be done so that I could keep maintaining that, that um, completely um, reusable setup that I was working I to. only reprocess because that's what I did when I built yeah. out my studios if I had to like start a studio from scratch tomorrow I would look really hard at just being disposable I, I think in the future I would like to start reprocessing some things again um, or, or maybe not having having a lot of reprocessing doing but I can definitely there are definitely situations where I think man that would have been handy well you can also I do a mix way for it's not like so it's long, a, so just a black and white issue I think that I would like to do do a mixture mm -hmm. um, because there was there was certainly a huge drawbacks with working entirely prepackaged. So um, I think before when I was working entirely prepackaged, um, the volume of work that I was doing was completely unsustainable because mm -hmm. I was just working through product so quickly yeah. that then that means you have to do even more man hours to make more prepackaged products. And it's like the busier you get, the harder you then have to mm -hmm. work. So the, it's like the better you're doing at work, the worse you feel. Um, whereas now I'm in a situation where I can actually manage my own time and yeah. you know, do things really differently. So if, if I did have the facilities to be able to reprocess, I think that that would be really good. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe in a couple of years, I'll be able to develop into having that too. So, yeah. I mean, I'm completely disposable now, but I, I would happily work a mixture. Hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're concerned about environmental, I would say you're probably going to be using a lot less plastic if you're disposable. Maybe, you know, maybe you're throwing out plastic tools instead of metal tools. Who knows? It's hard mm -hmm. to say. It's a lot of it's subjective. The last thing I want to touch on is just the, the question of who fucking uses nostril screws anymore and why. And I'll just say, whoever wants to use nostril screws, what's wrong with using nostril screws? I don't really use them because I don't like them. I don't really sell them. I have maybe like 10 in my studio. If, if a customer wants jewelry that they can change themselves easily, I'm probably going to steer them towards a nostril screw and not threadless jewelry. But I'll say that um, like, there's nothing wrong with using nostril screws. If you don't want to use them in your studio, don't use them in your studio. But don't mock people because that was a, that was a cornerstone of the industry for years. People who have been piercing for more than 10 years, they're going to have all this nostril screw experience. Uh, and maybe that's not as relevant these days with all the different options that you have and attachments and things like that. But I still think every piercer should know how to bend and install a nostril screw. Uh, but if you don't want to carry them, don't carry them. Just, you know, you don't have to judge people for carrying them. Uh, maybe judge people if, they, if they're not using them correctly. 
But um, what you know, whatever. If you don't want to use a nostril screw, don't use a nostril screw. I don't use nostril screws because I don't want to. But if somebody wants to buy a nostril screw, yeah, sure, I got one or two around that you can buy. In the UK, um, and I, I'm not sure if this is still the case. I think that it is, but you couldn't buy unbent nostril screws. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all pre-bent and they all went in the same direction. Mm-hmm. You know, so you couldn't do that left bend, right bend thing. And like, I didn't even know for years that you could just buy an unbent nostril screw. Um, I think that, I think the first time I learned that was when I had to custom order a couple of nostril screws from Anatometal for the first time for a customer, and they arrived unbent, and I was just like, crap. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to learn how to bend these now um, without messing up this order that I've just waited for. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't, I don't, for me, the, the biggest problem with nostril screws over here was that... Um, people were using nostril screws with a wearable length of five or six millimeters and they were putting them in everybody, mm. like every client. And for a lot of clients, that's that's not gonna be anywhere near enough room. Sure. And so for years and years, anytime somebody walked in with an embedding piercing um, that should have been done with like a longer piece of jewelry or a librette or something like that. And what would often happen is piercers would get that way where they wouldn't want uh, their client to be mad at them for piercing them with a big librette. So they would just put in the tiny nostril screw, mm-hmm. nostril screw that they knew wouldn't fit. Yeah. And then they would come back in a few days and it would have completely embedded into their face. Like I pulled out so many embedded nostril that's screws. A, that's a professionalism problem yeah. though. That's like, I, I, with the, the vibe that I'm getting off of this one is just that it's not your personal preference, yeah. but you want to kind of make other piercers feel no, outdated I, I was for just, using I was just saying as a point of interest, you know, like I, oh, know, sure. I know that in the US it's been like how you're saying piercers with more than 10 years experience have all this experience bending them and using them and not everybody you're going to have that same problem you're describing to everybody because you can you can definitely still get pre-bent nostril screws from a lot of the lower end vendors Um, Um, I just mean here there was like way less of anybody bending their own nostril screws if anybody was doing that that's sloppiness that's sloppy work though but what, yeah. what I'm saying is there wasn't an option to buy unbent nostril screws. Oh, sure. Like it wasn't a thing. I got chewed um, out by somebody once because I, I had a staff member that I trained and then they went to work somewhere else and then that studio owner called me and chewed me out because that staff member didn't have experience with nostril screws and I was like, we don't use nostril screws. Why would he, yeah. why would he have experience? Um, and like now I, I get what they were saying. Like I, I should have maybe trained him in more things and had him be more versatile where if he ever did encounter a nostril screw that he needed to pre-bend himself. So I, I get the spirit behind it, but also at the same time, it's like, well, we don't use them. If you use them in your studio, it's your responsibility to train a staff member, you know, yeah. how, how you want them working in your studio. Um, but when it comes to it, like, I'm not gonna judge. If, if people wanna install a nostril screw, a properly fit nostril screw, and they wanna install it correctly, I'm never gonna judge them for that. But when their client comes into my studio, I'm probably gonna be like, you know, we do have threadless jewelry if you'd like that instead, so you don't have that metal booger hanging out of your nose. Um, but anyway. Don't judge. Maybe if that's the theme of this episode, it's don't judge. Everybody makes mistakes and everybody has to learn over time. Don't judge so much. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? Just that I'm sorry for all my opinions. Uh, if Send complaints if to president at I don't even, it's not even funny. UK. Don't. No. Um, yeah, I, I, do get, I do get stressed think as, as like thoughts just fall out of my head in an, in an unorganized fashion so I've, I've done I've done a hundred and something episodes of thoughts just falling out of my head I'm yeah, sure there are people out there people who think I'm an idiot for it about subjects that are particularly sensitive you know like yeah. things like accountability I don't yeah. want anybody to think that I'm just you know like talking over their experience or like not 
thinking it through properly, but mm -hmm. it is something that I have thought about. And you know, those are just my feelings on it. And I welcome everybody else's feelings on it. Um, and I just think that it's important to remember when you hear something, it's just two people talking and having a discussion like they do in real life, yeah. you know? And another thing is like, you piercers have to talk to each other and they have to be honest with each other when they have conversations. Um, and not all of it can or should be so carefully planned out and crafted. Like I wanna just like sit down and have conversations with piercers. And like you're one of the, the better ones that I know. So I Aww. like having conversations with you. Thank you. Um, but it's like if you're not willing to talk about it and you're not willing to talk about it just honestly, like off the top of your head without like pre-planning a, a syllabus uh, or like an outline, then I don't think things are gonna move forward uh, as much as people want them to. You have to have the conversation and sometimes you have to accidentally share your ignorance, which I'm really good at. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, my name is Lola Slider and I work at Forest Piercing in Glasgow, Scotland. You can visit uh, forestglasgow.com, right? Yeah. Is that where you can That's visit right, my, Lola. my shop and, and follow? Uh, my name is uh, Ryan Ouellette. Um, I'm a... I'm a uh, a body piercer with 20 years experience. <laughs> I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, um, or at least I did. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. And, uh, and my shop is called Precision Body Arts, isn't it? Yes, Yeah. thank you. We've only been dating <laughs> for a year. Now you finally know my studio name. Um, well, in my head, it's always PBA, yeah, me which too. sounds kind of like PBJ. PB and J? Yeah. yeah, P, B, and A, yeah. uh, and it's Peanut in, butter anus. It's in it stands for. Nashua, New Hampshire, yeah. and it's dead good, and there's tons of jewelry in it, and totally. I work there with a nice man called Evan, yeah. and uh, Rob, and Sam, and Nick. Nick, you got it. Well, and hi guys, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be at work soon. <laughs> Um, so thank you for listening to another uh, rambling episode of the Piercing Wizard podcast. Uh, be nice to each other, and um, you know, don't don't hate. Just uh, I don't know. I don't know. Be cool. Just be cool. I don't know. Hopefully, twenty twenty one. Wait, yeah, twenty twenty one. Hopefully, sucks a little bit less for you and for me. And uh, I'll be back with more at some point, probably. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks for talking to me, Lola. Thanks for listening in. Uh, again, uh, try to save Sunday, January 24th for some education. I'm going to be talking about different nipple piercing considerations. Lola's going to be talking about lots of stuff related to PAs. Uh, also that bonus class on predicting and preventing predatory behavior. And that's going to be a, an updated version of, of both of those classes from Lola. You can get the information about signing up by either contacting Lola on social media uh, or you can go to Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. Uh, if you want to register for that class, I think you can email lolabodypiercer at gmail.com and we'll have all the other uh, registration uh, info up online. If you want to get any of the new Statum Cult zip-up hoodies, the enamel pin, the metal piercing wizard shirt, gentian violence hats, all that stuff is available on precisionbodyarts.com slash shop. Uh, and I've got all those different classes available. Patreon.com slash RyanPBA. You can get that two-hour statum class. 
the two-hour blood class. You can get anatomy and all, all different kinds of stuff on there for 15 bucks on the Archmage tier. So blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, if you are a Christmas celebrating type person, uh, Merry Christmas. If you are uh, celebrating any other holidays, have the loveliest holiday with uh, you and yours. Um, and just congratulations for making it to the end of 2020 because it sucked ass. I'm going to drop in next week and just do a short end-of-year recap, uh, saying some thank yous and, and looking forward to some new stuff for 2021. So for now, uh, enjoy some James Brown, and again, thanks for listening. Up, but that's the morning that you wouldn't go to your table. You go straight 
safety of a sack Hanging on the mantle Over the fireplace I just enjoyed this. And I, I can't, really can't find enough words that would really make me express myself. The good feeling that I have. But I want to say thanks. Thanks, God. And now, let's make Christmas the kind of a Christmas that we remember. You know? You made Christmas very, very beautiful for me in my past years. But let's make this Christmas good for everybody. The kind of a Christmas that Mom, Dad, Let's, let's make Christmas Make this Christmas And all back and wait Nah, 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 nah It a beautiful, a lovable, enjoyable Christmas now, now, now. Oh, that's a violin play. That's a violin play now. So good. Come on. Christmas morning. If I don't, you see Santa Claus.